Welcome to track number five of Victory in Laodicea. Get the gold. Real gold. Amen. Is that not so? Great. How to get the real gold that you need for heaven. Amen. The real gold that you need to have for heaven. Amen. Now, um, let's look at Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. And uh, let's look at verse number 14. Uh, verse uh, 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Amen. Amen. And because thou sayest, I am rich, and I am increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee, to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve or anointing ointment, that thou mayest see Amen Hallelujah Praise the Lord Now we are sharing about the real goal. Now, what I, what I want you to see is the first step to acquiring this goal, real goal, is to value heavenly things more than earthly things. Okay? That is the first step. And the second step is to believe in the reality of the heavenly realm. You get it? more pardon you didn't get the first step what was the first step to value heavenly things more than earthly things you see if alright are you there that is one then number two you must believe in the heavenly realm you must believe in heaven if you do not believe in heaven you cannot do what we are talking about why do I say that because if you just believe in earth the earth Pastor Kulufio, the people on earth will influence you they will tell you and guide you and their company will lead you in a certain way amen by, by the virtue of how you live and how people are are you listening to me you will go your life will go a certain way so you must believe more in heaven and to be able to believe more in heaven, you must read about heaven. You must study heaven. You must read books like this book I am sharing with you, The Final Quest. How many have ever heard of that book? And how many have read it? How many have one? Okay. How many have not read it? The Final Quest. Okay. Andy, I want you to get one. Okay, this one here is called, it's changed it into a, it's called a vision now. The book is now called The Vision. 
all right? It has become one of the best sellers in the whole world. Millions have been sold. That's why we, we've done it, by the way. We joined two books together. When you read this book, you'll be frightened. A year ago when I came to South Africa, it's like a year, isn't it? That's when I bought this book, isn't it? Yeah. I bought this book in Pretoria. I was just going through the bookshop. And I just, let me buy this book. And I bought it. Nobody ever recommended it to me. It's frightening. Because in this book here, especially there's a chapter called The White Throne. He goes and he, is there a reason why the door is open? Can you close the door, please? He goes and he meets. Dr. Mills, have you read this book? Okay. He goes along and he meets pastors. People who were working, he was under. People who were great pastors before him. And people he knew. <laughs> and their situation, when they explain how they are where they are, they'll be frightened. It's so real. And everything that he says is Bible. He just tells you what he saw. He's not trying to teach you anything. He's just telling you what he saw. It's not a teaching. <laughs> just what he saw. But when I read it, I realize everything. I can substantiate everything from the, the word of God. It is frightening. But it's very real. Amen. That's why I am calling you out of warmth into heat. Amen. So that your life will have some use. Hallelujah. Now, I want to read this. He met a Christian. I'm just going to read one of them to you. He met a Christian. Alright? And this is just very short. Right? He says, To my surprise, I recognized somebody I had known on earth. He had been a faithful believer. You see? Faithful believer. This is the one. <laughs> uh, he had been a faithful believer. But I don't think he had ever done anything of significance. He stepped up to me with assurance and dignity. Then he started talking to the guy. He said, heaven is much greater than we could have dreamed of while we were on earth. This room is the threshold of realms of glory. Then he was talking with him. Then the guy looked very beautiful and noble to him. Then uh, he said, on earth, you cannot even begin to understand what the least of those here in heaven knows. And he continued, he said, in fact, we are the least. He, the guy, is the least of those here. This is a faithful Christian. And he asked, how could you be the least? I asked in disbelief. And he continued, he said, there is an aristocracy of sorts here. The rewards for our earthly lives are the eternal positions that we will have forever. So the guy was explaining to me. The rewards for our earthly lives are the eternal positions we'll have forever. Do you remember when I read to you here? To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also came and I'm set down with my father in his throne. I read this to you. So when the man is saying that the reward is the position. You see, like those who fought the, with the ANC, is that not so, for freedom. When ANC won the elections, they were given positions. You'd be the Minister of Interior. Butelezi was given Minister of Interior. 
from affairs. And all the others who fought for the freedom were all given positions. This is noble. And when we get to heaven, those of us who have fought with God will be given positions. That is the, that's our reward. The reward is not a gold necklace or something, a car or something like that. It's a position of authority. You'll be somebody great. So if you are nobody great on earth, no problem. You're going to be somebody great over there. And it's unfortunate that those who will be great on earth will be nothing over there. And this is a faithful believer. He said he's the least. You listen to what he's going to say. So if I was you, I would try to use my life to gain some proper position in heaven. Nobody should, nobody, you should rather wish, if you look at me, you should rather wish to be me. Or not even to be me in terms of like who I am, but to wish to also be able to work full time for God. That should be your prayer. Because that's the only useful thing. <laughs> I said, you see this house, you can hold it and hold it and hold it, but you will die and leave it. If it is for you, you can hold it like this. I want my house. But one day you have to die and leave it. You just leave it there and go away. You can build a lot and hold them and hold everything. You, you, you have to go and leave it for a fool, for somebody who will come after you. Who didn't work so hard to get what you had. <laughs> so I would like to work for the Lord. So if anything, you should be desiring. Oh Lord, give me the opportunity. That's why I say it's a privilege. The greatest privilege on earth to come on earth and to be called by God, given an opportunity to work for Him. Amen. Hallelujah. Now notice, the rewards for our earthly lives are the eternal positions that we will have forever. This great multitude, that's where He was in heaven, are the, uh, whom the Lord called foolish virgins. We knew the Lord and trusted in his cross for salvation. But we lived for ourselves more than we really lived for him. We did not keep our vessels filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. We have eternal life, all right, but we wasted our lives on earth. I was greatly surprised by what he was telling me, and I also knew that nobody could lie. So I asked him, the foolish virgins gnashed their teeth in outer darkness, so how can you call this place in heaven outer darkness? And that we did. He said the grief that we experienced in heaven when we tasted, when we understood how we had wasted our lives on earth was beyond any grief possible on earth. He said the darkness of that grief can only be understood by those who have experienced it. Such darkness it is magnified when it is revealed next to the glory of the one who we failed. You are standing among those in the lowest rank of heaven. Listen to this. He said, there is no greater folly than to know the great salvation of God, but to then go on living for yourself. To come here and learn the reality of that is a grief beyond any earthly soul can experience. We are those who suffered outer darkness because of this greatest of follies. Are you there? I was still incredulous. But you said, but you are more glorious and full of joy and peace than I ever imagined. Even for those in heaven. I do not sense any remorse in you. Yet I know you cannot lie. It does not make sense to me. 
Looking me straight in the eyes, he continued. The Lord also loves us with a great love that you can yet understand. Before his judgment seat, I tasted the greatest, remorse and darkness of all that can be experienced. Though here we do not measure time as you do, it seemed to last for as long as my life on earth had lasted. All my sins and follies that I have not repented of passed before me and before all who are here. You cannot, you cannot understand the grief of this until you have experienced it. I felt that I was in the deepest dungeon of hell, even as I stood before the glory of God. He said, he was resolute until my life had been completely reviewed. Do you understand what it is? It's like he was standing there. His life was reviewed completely. Hey, are you ready for review of your life? When I said I was sorry, but I, I've not even seen it. He, said, he was resolute until my life. That's the one he was standing before the throne. He was resolute until my life had been completely reviewed. When I said I was sorry and I asked for the mercy of his cross, he wiped away my tears and took away the darkness. I no longer feel the bitterness that I knew as I stood before him, but I remember it. He said, how can you remember such things without continuing to feel the pain? He said, a moment in the lowest part of heaven is much greater than a thousand years of the highest life on earth. Hmm. And he continued. And the guy was going. He says, even so, I no longer feel the grief of my failure. I really deserve nothing. I am here by grace alone. I am so thankful for what I have. He is so worthy to be loved. I could be doing many wondrous things now in the different realms of heaven. But I would rather stay here and just behold his glory, even if I'm on the outer fringes. <laughs> then with a distant look in his eyes, he added, Everyone in heaven is now in this room to watch this great mystery unfold and to watch those of you who will fight the last battle. We are the people in the last battle. They are watching us. Can you see him from here? I asked. I see his glory far away, but I cannot see him. The guy was in heaven, far from you, was far, Cape Town, very far away. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can see him. I can see many times better than you can, he answered. And yes, I can see him and hear him. I can see all that he is doing. He also gave us power to observe what is happening on earth. We are the great cloud of witnesses who are watching you and cheering you on. He bowed and then returned to the ranks. Hallelujah. I then began to think of all the time that I had wasted in my own life. It was such an overwhelming thought that I stopped. Then part of my life began to pass before me and I began to experience terrible grief over my sin. I too had been one of the greatest of fools. I, have, I may have kept more oil in my lamp than others, but now I knew how foolish I had been. To measure what was required of me by how others were doing, I too was one of the foolish virgins. Just when I thought I would collapse under the weight of this terrible discovery, a man that I had known and esteemed as a great man of God came forward to steady me. He greeted me warmly and his touch somehow revived me. I had wanted to be discipled by this man, but we did not get along well. <laughs> Sometimes you don't get along well with your pastor. 
as had happened with a number of other men of God that I had tried to bless, get close to, I was an irritation to this man, and he had finally sacked me from his ministry. For years, I felt guilty about this. I was convinced that I had missed a great opportunity because of a problem with my own character. Although I had put it out of my mind, I still carried the weight of this failure. When I saw him, it all surfaced, and a sick feeling came over me. Now he looks so noble and regal. And I felt even more embarrassed by my condition. I wanted to hide, but there was no way I could avoid him. To my surprise, his warmth toward me was so genuine that he put me at ease. There did not seem to be any barriers between us. In fact, the love I felt coming from him almost took away my self-consciousness. I have waited eagerly for this meeting, he said. You are waiting for me? I asked. Why? The man said, this is a pastor who was dead before him. He said, you are just one of the many I am waiting for. I did not understand until my judgment that you were one that I was called to help, even to disciple, but I rejected you. So the guy, the pastor who was dead had met this guy who wrote this book and telling him that he was supposed to have discipled him, but he rejected him when he came. Sir, I protested. It would have been a great honor for me to be discipled by you. And I'm very thankful for the time I had with you. I was so arrogant that I deserved the rejection. I know that my rebellion and pride have prevented me from having a real spiritual father. This was not your fault, but mine. And the man answered, the pastor, dead pastor. It is true that you were prideful, but that is not why I was offended with you. I was offended because of my own insecurity, which made me want to control everyone around me. I was offended that you would not accept everything I said without question. I then started to look for anything that was wrong with you so I could justify rejecting you. I began to feel that if I could not control you, one day you would embarrass me and my ministry. And I see my ministry more than I did the people for whom it was given to me. So I drove you and many others like you away. I must admit that at times I thought you had turned... Let me stop change that. And you were right. He said with a genuineness, I, have been given, I had been given the grace to be a spiritual father. But I was a very poor one. All children are rebellious. They are all self-centered and think that the world revolves around them. That is why they need parents to raise them. Almost every child will at times bring reproach on his family. But he is still a part of the family. Listen to what he said. I turned away many of God's own children. Precious people he had entrusted me so they could be brought to maturity. I failed with many of those who stayed with me. Most of them suffered wounds and failures that I could have helped. Many of them are now prisoners of the enemy. And consider this is a pastor with a very large, and he's in the lowest uh, place in heaven. A pastor, listen, he said, I built a large organization. You see, when I was reading, I became frightened. I built a large organization, <laughs> he continued. And he said, and I had considerable influence in the church. But the greatest gifts the Lord entrusted to me were the people who were sent to me for discipling, many of whom I rejected. He said, I was called to sit on one of the highest thrones. He said, he tells the guy, all that you would have, all that you have and will accomplish would have been in my account as well. Instead, I gave attention to what was of little eternal significance. You see, this is what we do. We give attention to things that are not important eternally. 
only earthly things that are significant. It's a deception. It's all wrong. <laughs> As he talks, his words were striking me. Uh, where are we? Yeah, very good. He said, but he continued. Then Regina asked the guy, he said, but what you accomplished was astounding. Then the man said, what looks good on earth looks very different here. What will make you a king on earth will often be a stumbling block to keep you from being a king here. I'll read it again. He said, what looks good on earth looks very different here. Is that not what I was reading to you? You are rich. You say I am rich. I have good. I have need of nothing. But you don't know that you are richer, miserable, poor, naked, and blind. So on earth you think it's this. But in reality, on earth it's opposite. And in heaven. Hallelujah. What will make you a king on earth will often be a stumbling block to keep you from being a king here. What will make you a king here is lowly and unacclaimed on earth. He said, I failed some of the greatest tests and opportunities that were given to me, one of which was you. Will you forgive me? Of course, I said, embarrassed. As he talked, his words were striking me deeply. I was guilty of everything he mentioned. Passing through my mind were the faces of young men and women I had brushed off as not being important enough for my time. I desperately wanted to return to earth to gather them together. Oh Lord, give us wisdom. So that we will be oriented towards heavenly things. Uh, and he continued. Uh, then suddenly, another man appeared. He said, I understand how you feel. I must another man. I recognized him immediately as someone whom I have considered to be one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time. Near the end of the Lord, the end of his life, Paul said he was the least of his sins. And just before the, his death, he called himself the greatest of sinners. If he hadn't learned that lesson during his life on earth, he too would have been one of the least of saints in heaven. But because he learned it on earth, he is now one of those closest to the Lord. Seeing this great man of God in the company of the foolish virgins, I was very surprised. I cannot believe that you two are one of the foolish who slept their lives away. Why are you here? Listen, he said, I am here because I made one of the gravest mistakes you can make as one entrusted with the gospel. Hallelujah. And then he continued. Get the book and you'll be blessed. Hallelujah. All, I'm just trying to show with you because it's a long thing. You have to read it for yourself if you want. But I'm just trying to show you that, look, when you get to heaven, what was good here and create here will have no value there. That's why I tell you something. Everybody here must decide I will become a pastor. Whether it's today or next year or the year after, decide now. Because you will become what you decide to become. What you decide to become will guide you from today. The vision you have for yourself will make you walk a certain road. Your vision makes you. You don't make your vision. Your vision makes you into something. The vision you have guides you and makes you walk a certain road. I have a vision 
And that, you see, I have a vision of many churches in this area. So that is why we are having a camp meeting and not a miracle convention for me to become more famous and popular. I, I, I want to have churches. That's what I want. So that is making me do what I'm doing. You get what I'm saying? The vision that I have is making me behave a certain way. Because I rather want to train people and encourage people to do the work and teach them and show them that they can do it. That they are also called yes, and that it's important. That it's the best thing to yes, do. Yes, and that if they do their best with their time and their life and not just be warm, but actually be hot, they'll be surprised what God will use them for. That's why I'm reading to you this book of somebody who went there for us and has come, has come back to tell us what he saw there of an ordinary Christian who is very low and of even a pastor who has found himself to be in a very low place. God is trying to give you wisdom so you can see what many people cannot see. Have that vision from today. Lord, I'm going to be, and I'm not just going to be in the church. Thank God for playing. I can play this piano and I can play the drums. I can play all the instruments. I can fix these drums. I'll show you how to fix it. And not everybody knows how to fix drums. I can connect all these wires. I've done all these things. I started, I've been in the church for a long time. These are my work. I know how to arrange chairs. I've been doing all these things for a long time. Huh? Yeah. Are you listening to me? But I, I have had a dream that I wanted to. When I proposed to my wife on the 26th of August, 1985, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I told her, I told her that I asked her two questions. I said, can you marry a pastor? You see, when you're getting married, you must ask the person whether the person can marry what you are going to be. Can you marry a pastor? And can you marry a doctor? I told her. Because I was in my third year in medical school. And I knew that I was going to be a doctor, but nobody knew that I was going to be a pastor. But I knew that I was going to be a pastor. I said, can you marry a pastor? And a doctor. And she said, yes. I said, okay. <laughs> Amen. Are you listening to me? Yeah. You must know which line it's going to be. And way back then in school, I knew I was going to be a pastor. I didn't know Lighthouse would be here. And I didn't know one day I'll be here in South Africa and there'll be people from Swaziland and Zimbabwe and South Africa and all that will all be here. I didn't know that. I just knew that I was going to work for God. That thing was has been in me. And that thing is in you. Amen. It's not an angel appearing. It's that feeling in there that you've got to do work for God. That's all. That's what I have. That's what you are. How many have that thing as well within you? Yeah, if you have it, that's what I also have. That's what has brought me here. <laughs> yeah. And I have followed that thing. And I've tried to do my best. And I've not been afraid of being hot. I've trusted God. You cannot work for God if you don't have faith. You must trust God and you must not care what people think about you. Because if you are going to follow what people think about you, they will guide you to be a fool. You will spiritually be a stupid person. You will get to heaven and, and have become a king on earth and a fool in heaven. Bible calls a foolish virgin. You will have impressed people and disappointed God. When I was in medical school carrying drums from my room, carrying organs, carrying boxes, one of my our pastors, our pastor in Itakwari, Pastor Hemish, 
his room was, you see, it was like maybe from here to here was his room in the medical school. And from here to here was boxes. Hi. The only space in his room was the bed. Boxes of instruments. Faithful, wonderful person. For years. Just full of boxes. And when we were doing that, we looked funny. I was one of the only people in my class in the church. And then he was also one of the only people in his class from medical school in the church. We looked very funny. As we carried the boxes, the medical student would stand on the, uh, on the balcony outside of the railing and food and just looking at us as we carry the boxes like crazy guy. What is this boy doing? What is this guy doing? What are they doing? Say they are doing a church. <laughs> Say they are doing a church. And nobody approved of me. Nobody has sent me. Nobody had anointed me. Nobody. And I was trying my best. I remember the first time I preached a sermon that I was going to preach. I wrote down my notes. This is for the scripture I'll read. This is the story I will tell. <laughs> my windows. I had listed my windows. Man. And I was looking at my watch to see what I'll be able to preach for 30 minutes. Because I've never preached a long time. Always was, you know, just talking and encouraging people. But really like a Sunday sermon for 30 or 40 minutes preaching. I've not done it before. But I did my best. 